So this morning, we're in Acts chapter 19, verse, uh, verse 11 down to verse 20. We'll read through that in just a moment. But we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, the authority behind the power that God brings to our lives. Last week, uh, we were in the first part of Acts 19 and, and the experience of the Holy Spirit coming and bringing his power into our lives is a normal part of what it means to follow Jesus. And the outcome of that is that there is power that comes along with the presence of God through his spirit that he's given to us for his purpose and his glory in the world. So there's, there's a reason that God gives us this, some power and some authority in, in this world, and we're going to talk about that today. But I want to talk about this comparison. What we're going to see in this passage is kind of, it's one of those stories that you read through, and you're like, I don't get that one. Let's skip to the next one, because that one's kind of crazy, and it sounds like something, some Hollywood movie that they made that I don't have any idea what they're talking about. Let's move on. There's an encounter, an encounter with a man who's demon-possessed, and the outcome is not the outcome that you and I would anticipate. Because what's going on underneath the story is the understanding of the way God's power works in our lives. Because there's a difference between God's miraculous power and what I'm going to classify as man's magical power. There's a difference between magic and miraculous. On the outside, they may appear to be the same thing, but on the inside, they're completely different realities. And this morning, I want to talk about that because what, what magic is, is somebody wielding power for their own benefit and their own glory. What the miraculous is, is God investing his power into humanity as a demonstration of his glory and his power, and it's about him. And sometimes we get confused in those two things because God is not about magic. God is about the miraculous. He's about doing something powerful that ultimately points people back to him. And so that's, that's why I want us to look at this story, knowing the difference between those two and what does that look like as we read through this passage today. So we're going to talk about the authority behind the power that God brings into our lives. So if you have your Bible, starting in verse 11, I'll read down to verse 20 in this story. So it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Does that sound a little strange? Yeah, we're like, what is going on there? Verse 13, and some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, uh, they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjourn you by the name of uh, uh, by Jesus whom Paul uh, proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva came, uh, were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit uh, leaped on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who, are not now, uh, who now uh, believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arcs brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Is that kind of a strange story? Yes, it is a strange story. Because you're thinking, well, the other encounters that we've seen, you know, Paul, in, in, uh, when we were reading through in Acts 16, and Paul's in Philippi, and he turns around as a slave girl who's demon-possessed, and he, and he casts the demon right out, and everybody's great. These guys try the same thing, and what happens is the demon turns the table on them and beats them up. And sends them out bleeding and naked. That's not the end of the story that we want, right? What's going on in this passage? What are we looking at here? There's, there's a number of things I want to highlight because there's this comparison going on here of man's magic and God's miraculous and the difference between the two. 
So take a look at this, the first thing, the four things I want to walk through, of, of kind of on the, the idea of how we perceive what sometimes we can confuse as power. It's really man's magic trying to do something that brings glory to us. There's four things in this passage that highlight that. When we're caught in this idea of magical powers, it's, we believe this, that it's in the product. That the power is in the product, that what the product produces. So verse 12, this is a very difficult verse for us to understand. It says, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched the skin, talking about Paul, were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Sound a little strange? So what's going on here? We don't fully understand the background, but we know that somehow, somehow there was something transferred of God's power through Paul to these articles of material. We, some, had some, some commentators would actually say these could have been things that were taken from Paul without his knowledge, and they were being used to somehow bring healing in people's lives. So we don't understand fully what's going on there, but, but in terms of our things, the way we understand power is that we look at an object and we think, wow, that thing is powerful. And so instead of looking at God, we look at the substance or we look at the product and we say, that's where the power is. And that's why I'm convinced that when Jesus healed throughout the Gospels, it seems like he never chose the same mode of operation twice. He always did different things. In fact, you remember in John chapter 9, he spits and he makes mud and he wipes it on the guy's eyes. You remember that? So what we would have a tendency to do is like as soon as Jesus was done, we would run up find whatever remnant of mud was left, and we put it in a little bag, and we'd save it, and we'd say, this is magic mud. And if you just put this on your face, then you'll see. Jesus was trying to communicate, the power's not in the product. The power is what? The power's in God, but in our, in our sense, we want to be able to hold and wield the power. So if we find something, we think there's power in this, and so I'm going to send this, or I'm going to give this, and it's going to bring power. Anybody ever seen anything on the internet or TV where people will sell, sell special water, special oil, special materials. TV evangelists will pray over a piece of cloth and then they'll send it to you for a $500 gift, right? Because there's power in that. They'll take this passage, which we don't fully understand. This is not a practice of the New Testament church where they would give all these articles of things to Paul and he would pray on them and then they would send them around. It's, not, it's something that's happening. It's God's power. We don't fully understand what's going on. But we like the idea that somehow you can contain power in an object. Why? Because we can be in control of that object again. Again, that's more has to do with the magical power of man, not the miraculous power of God that always brings glory back to him. So the first thing is that we think it's in the product. Second thing, look at verse 13. We think that the magical power is in the presentation. So verse 13, it says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of Jesus, uh, Lord Jesus, over those who had evil spirits. So they said what? They, said, they used Jesus and they used Paul. So it's, it's in this presentation. If we use their names, if we say the right thing, then we know then, then the power will show up and we can do what we want to do. So it's almost like a mantra. It's almost like it's, it's kids playing with power tools. We don't know how to use them, but if we, if we have them, we'll have power. And so they start throwing out Jesus' name. They start throwing out Paul's name, thinking that somehow in their presentation, as long as they say those things, boom, the power's going to show up. We have the same idea in our, in, our, in our faith, sometimes we use certain words and certain mantras thinking that there's power in that. Now hear me, I'm not trying to, to, to pass judgment on anybody, but there are so many times that when we pray, we use the same phrases over and over and over again as though there's power in, in the phrases. There's only power in one name. The name is Jesus. But not as a mantra that somehow gets us to yield or wield power over people. And so it isn't, this, it isn't that we say a certain thing and boom, that's the key, and then God's power shows up. 
See, because it has to do with more than just the presentation of power. For example, I've gone on a number of ride-alongs in different cities that I've lived in with police officers, and on a number of occasions I've gone on, I've gone on with uh, ride-alongs with canine officers. And if you have never done that, it is incredible to watch the relationship between an officer and their dog. It's, it's really incredible. And I've gone on, on, on a couple times, and obviously the, the dogs are s- like sworn officers. They're highly trained, and they're deeply connected to, their, to their, their leaders, their, their officers that are with them. And so on the different ride-alongs that I've been on, I, I was instructed, one of them, depending on the temperament of the dog, uh, one of them I was actually allowed to get out, and to, when the dog was out, I could be out with the officer, and we were doing stuff in different, different areas. And, and then the other one, uh, the dog was actually, his nature was very aggressive. And so literally when the dog was released, I had to stay in the car. So we actually, an alarm went off at a, at a middle school in the middle of the night, and so we got the call, so we got there. And so literally, this dog, the dogs, if you've ever been in a car with a canine, as soon as they hear the radio key up and they hear the voice of the officer go up, they start amping up. It's crazy. They sense it. They start pacing around. In fact, I will tell you, one of the dogs, he had a problem. When he got excited, he passed gas. I mean, that car stunk. <laughs> I mean, he was amped, and his officer was like, duh. He said his name was Axel. He said, Axel, knock it off. You know, he's ready to go to the call. But this other dog who's highly aggressive, his name is Akai. And so we got to the school, and the officer has this little remote control that he literally hits a button, and the back doors of the car fly open, and the dog is boom. He's out. But then when the officer gets out, they do this, obviously, because these two dogs are German shepherds. They actually use German as commands. They use the German language. And he had all these commands that he would give to the dog, and the dog would immediately respond. So where the dog should go, what the dog should do, when the dog should return to the car. And so they were out uh, kind of going around the perimeter, and I saw him come back, and I saw him give the dog a command, and the dog took off. I'm in a full-on sprint with the door open. I'm sitting in the car, going back to the car, and he jumps in, and the whole car rocks. And then the door slowly closes behind him. Now, if I got out of the car, especially with Akai, with that dog, and I gave the same commands that the officer gave, what do you think that dog would do? Absolutely nothing. I could get my German accent just perfect because it's in my blood, it's in my DNA, and use the exact German words that he used, and the dog would look at me and either run from me or bite me, right? Because the power was not in his words. The power was beyond his words. And I think sometimes, in, in our, especially in Pentecostal circles, we get mantras. You've got to say it this way. You've got to pray it this way, as though it's a formula that produces God's power, and it's not. It's God that produces God's power, and that's what we're trying to get at. So it's not in the product or the presentation. Look at verse 14. It's the third thing. Man's magical power, we see it. It's in the position. So in verse 14, it actually says that seven sons of Sceva, it says a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. I was reading some different commentators about this because there's no record of a high priest named Sceva. There isn't in, 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 the, in the record. So they would, they would guess that either this is a, a made-up title that someone has kind of self-proclaimed high priest. And so, but there's something about the positions, especially these sons are looking at their father as somehow he has power, so we have power. There's this connection to a position that somehow brings power. And in this situation, it didn't really matter that they were the sons of a high priest. It didn't matter. You think, well, that would have done something to the demons. They would have thought, oh, wow, well, you're connected to the high priest, so well, we better run. And so it had nothing to do with position. And this is something that's important because we'll talk about this in a minute, but God's power is for his people, not just for a few. And this is really important because I see, I have a different perspective because I'm a pastor. 
And I can't tell you how many times people come to me and they want me to say something or me to pray. Why? Because you know I got the hotline to God, right? Because somehow when I pray, Jesus just somehow stands to attention. Pastor John's praying, and I'm going to listen to him more than I'm going to listen to anybody else. That's not true. But how many times do you think, oh, well, I can't do that, but that person is. I'm going to call them because they can pray for you to be healed, but I can't do that. The same spirit that dwells in me is the same spirit that dwells in all of us who follow Jesus. It's the same power. So it's not in this position that somehow, okay, only God can use only certain people. It is that God's power comes to his people who surrender to him. So, and then there's a fourth thing, and that is that God's, uh, man's magical power also is in the person. We think that somehow it's resident in that person. They have the power. They own the power. Because in verse 15 it says, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but I love this, but who are you? Can you imagine? This, this demon through this man starts speaking back, and it's like, you're not impressing me here. There's no power in who you are. And that's important because we don't possess and own God's power. God's power flows through us. Because if we were the ones that possessed and owned God's power, then the glory would go to us. But it's supposed to go to him. And if we think about that, we think about this is really important because this concept of power is something that we all deal with every day. Power means control, and power means that, that I have control over circumstances, over things in my life, and we want that. And that's why in our culture, whether we know it or not, power is something that we value highly. It's, it's embedded in every movie you watch about somebody who rises from insignificance to significance. Why? Because they are dispowered, and they become empowered. And we love that kind of story. There's a problem, though, with that story, because most of us want the power to have the power, and there's a problem with power. When power is possessed by a human being, it becomes corrupt. Here's an example of this. I'll give this example. So, so let me compare two things, and I'm not giving uh, my critique on films or anything or, or uh, favorites or not, okay? Let me compare the difference between Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Okay, some of you are like big fans on both sides. Okay, I'm not going to argue this the case. Okay, I'm going to say this: Harry Potter obviously has made billions and billions of dollars through book and through through uh, films. But it's interesting when you look at the understanding of power. So I mean, come on, Harry Potter. If you watch the films, you mean poor little Harry Potter is this you know this guy who obviously he discovers that he's you know he's a wizard and he has to understand how to become educated in that and all the things that go with. Which by the way, some people are like anti Harry Potter. Other people are like big champions of Harry Potter. I will tell you this: our kids did not watch Harry Potter films until they were old enough to dif distinguish the difference between reality and fantasy. And now they watch them all the time. I don't have a problem with it. Why? Because they can figure out the difference between what's real and what's not. If your child can't figure out that difference, I would probably use caution. Doesn't mean that the, the movies are horrific, but I will say this. The premise of the Harry Potter movies is a fallacy. Okay, I'm not saying anything against Harry Potter. Okay, hear me. Here's the fallacy. That one person can possess power and still be good. That's the fallacy. Because one person cannot be all-powerful over other people and still be good. The only person who can do that is God himself. Because we as human beings, when we get to that place, we now want it to be about us. And that's the difficulty sometimes when God uses people to demonstrate his power. We get confused and think, ah, I got the power now. No, you don't have the power. God's the one that has the power. Flip side, Lord of the Rings. So personally, if I'm going to sit down and watch a movie, I'd probably rather watch Harry Potter than Lord of the Rings. It's just, 
it's more, I don't know, fun. It's probably because I've been on the ride at Universal Studios. I don't know. Lord of the Rings is just too long for me. Sorry, those who you like big Lord of the Rings fans. But Lord of the Rings, the reason I think it's, it's, import, it's important in, in, in the films is because it actually gives you an accurate depiction of what power does. See, where, where Harry Potter got to the place where actually he, he gets the Elder One at the end and he destroys it, but still he has all power. And, it's, it, and he's still good. Where in Lord of the Rings, when somebody gets a hold of the ring, even if they have the greatest intentions, what happens to them? They're immediately corrupted. And they cannot control the power. And they cannot control their own desires and urges within them to use that power for their benefit. That's why eventually the ring has to be destroyed. See, this is why it's so important to, to understand about the way power is. Power is not resident in us because if power is resident in us, we're in big trouble. Power is resident in God who uses people through with his power to demonstrate his glory for his purpose in the world. So we're conduits, we're vessels, we're not possessors of it. And that's why the difference between magic and miraculous is profound. Because magic is about us, miraculous is about God. So with those understandings, let's look at the, at the flip side in this. Before we do that, let me, let me give you an illustration because I think this is a, an important thing. I've heard a number of different illustrations about this. Because what, what is really important about the difference between this encounter and what you saw what Paul doing, especially in Acts chapter 16 and casting out demons, is what is the difference between the powers? We obviously know that miraculous is about God, magic's about man. But what is the difference between what Paul's doing and what these guys are trying to do in casting out demons? There's one thing. It's authority. See, Paul had authority given by God to do what he was doing. These guys had no authority. You can have all the power in the world if you have no authority. It won't matter a bit. Here's an example. Anybody ask basketball fans watching the NBA Finals now? Okay, three of you. That's great. We'll pray for you. So, but anyway, so if you ever watch this, it's in any sport. It's in, you can watch this in the NFL. You even see it in baseball, but particularly in the NBA. Here's a perfect example. So Golden State Warriors, actually, hopefully he'll play this next game. Their center, who's been out and injured for quite a while, DeMarcus Cousins, is about seven feet, and he weighs about 280, 290 pounds. He's a big dude. And so think about somebody that size. He looks down on everybody. He's a powerful player. You put him in the middle, he'll push anybody around the floor. He's amazing. He's a physical specimen. He's powerful. But you ever watch an NBA game and see some of the referees are like 5'10"? And so when they're standing next to a player, like they're doing this, anybody seen that? What's amazing is, does he have power? Well, he doesn't have physical power. I mean, if you put a, a 5'10", a referee up against a 7-foot, uh, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, guess who's going to win every time? DeMarcus Cousins is going to win every time. But what happens when DeMarcus Cousins commits a foul that he doesn't think is a foul, and he doesn't like the call that the referee is making? And he gets over with his big seven-foot frame, and he looks down at the 5'10 referee, and he starts arguing with him because he's more powerful but what does the referee have that Cousins doesn't have? He has authority. Because if Marcus, Marcus Cousins says the wrong word or the wrong phrase, that little 5'10 referee is going to look up at him and say, you know what, that's a technical foul. And if he keeps going, he's going to say, there's the locker room. And DeMarcus Cousins, all 280, 290 pounds, 7 foot of him, has to walk off the court. Why? Because that little 5'10 ref has authority that he doesn't have. That's the difference. See, power has to have the authority, not of a, as a human being, but the authority of God. And the only person who has authority is Jesus. Why? Because he's the one that died and rose again. And it, what? It says that actually Paul writes this in, in Philippians. There will be a day, what? Where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Why? Because the authority over everything is Jesus. 
And so he's the one that grants authority through his presence and his spirit for us to be able to be conduits of his power. So with that understanding, what does the miraculous look like? What's God's miraculous power? There's some things. Look at verse 16 as we go on in this. God's miraculous power comes from God, not from us. Verse 16, it says, The man who was with the evil spirit, he leapt on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So the power or the magic these guys were trying to wield obviously wasn't something that was coming from God. Why? Because they had no success in what they were trying to do. The power they were trying to seek was coming from them or from throwing out other names. And it wasn't working. Why? Because it wasn't coming from God. It was coming from themselves. But ultimately, the, the, the true power comes from God. That's what's the difference between you and I and any other person walking the planet. Is if God's spirit dwells in me, his power works through me. That is the true power that comes from God. Because without God's power, you and I can do nothing. We can't do anything. And this is, I think, part of the, the tension that we live in in our culture today is you look across the United States, and, I, and, I'm, and, I, and I, it's not why we're in this series, but I'm convinced it's one of the byproducts, is that we need to get back to our heritage is what does it mean to be a people of power in the power of God. The world needs to see God's power demonstrated through healing and through encounters that changes people's lives because no matter how much we talk and how much we try to do, it's not changing people's lives. But the power of God does what that comes from God. So why don't you take a look at this picture on the screen. So this is a, a car that probably most of us can't afford to own. This is a, this is a, <laughs> is a Tesla Model S. Actually, it's probably one of the more affordable models of Tesla. Tesla is the premier electric car in the world. Anybody ever been in one? They're incredible. So we have some friends up in Oregon, uh, and they have one. And uh, it blew my mind. I mean, the car is incredible. So when we get in, I mean, everything is automated. Everything adjusts to where you are. In fact, we got out on the highway, and it, it has a mode that is literally self-driving. Anybody been in a self-driving car? It's freaky. So we get on the highway, and he pushes a button. My friend pushes a button, and literally, foot, foot off the gas, hands off the wheel, and the car's steering itself. The car's slowing down when traffic slows down in front of it. In fact, what really freaked me out is we're having a conversation. Uh, Kim and his wife are sitting in the back seat, and Kim's showing us a picture on the phone, and he turns around with his back, and is having, I'm like, oh, wow. This is kind of crazy. And then when we came to a turn, the car just turns itself, and it stops at a light. I'm like, how is this possible? But you know, one of the things I discovered about Tesla, it has to be charged. And when that charge comes to an end, you know what it is? It's a two-ton rock. That's all it is. All the technology disappears. All of it goes away. It looks really cool on the outside, but it can't move. It can't do anything. It can't think. It can't steer. It can't drive. It can't even unlock itself. It's completely helpless. Why? Because it has absolutely no power. That's the truth for us. We are designed to be the premier existence of human beings because we have the power of God dwelling in us. But if we don't have the power, what are we? We're, we're missing a whole dimension of who we're supposed to be because the power is not resonant in us. We don't have power. God has power, and, God, and his power comes from him. Second thing about God's miraculous power, look at verse 17, is that his miraculous power causes the fear of God. So what happens in verse 17? It says, this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fell upon, uh, fear fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord was extolled. So they hear what happens, and like, 
first of all, like they're freaked out. What these guys tried to cast out a demon and they got beat up. So there's something about now they're seeing the bigger picture. This has to be a God thing. And so because of this power encounter, even though it doesn't turn out well for the, the participants, now it's starting to point to a bigger picture, which is God, which kind of creates this what? This fear and this reverence for who God is, which we seem to struggle with sometimes in our lives and in our culture that, that we don't understand what it is to really fear God. What would it be like to actually have a true reverence and fear for God every day of our life? It's not to run in fear and be afraid of God, but to have such a fear that we have this respect for the fact that God's power is so much greater than man's power, that God is so much greater than I am. It's something we, in our effort to try to make God accessible, sometimes we make him too accessible. And we forget that he's the God of all, all, he's the God of the universe, he's the God of all time, he's the God that's conquered sin and death, he's over all things, and so there is, there's a sense of now when this happens, everybody is reminded of their humanity and how who God is. Can you imagine if that shaped our lives? It would change the way we approach our life. If we lived with the fear of God, that God's power is greater than us and only God is the one who has the authority over demons and through people, he'll do those things. But if we had a respect for that, how would you live your life differently? When you get up in the morning, you would probably think of your life differently about what does God want me to do today? What is he up to today? Because not that I'm living in fear that somehow God's going to crush me if I don't do everything he asked me to do, but this reverence and this respect for who God is is that this is not my life, this is not my money, this is not my car, this is not my house, this is not my time. This all belongs to God, the God of the universe who gave his life for me. Therefore, what does he want me to do with my life? What would that look like in our lives? What would it look like in our city if, if the fear of God gripped our city? So that there was this, what if something like this happened in Simi Valley? What if this power encounter happens in Simi Valley and it gets out around and everybody's like, whoa. You think it would get their attention? Yeah, it would get their attention more than our worship, more than our programs, more than my preaching, more than anything. They would go, wow, okay, I haven't seen that lately or ever. Why? Because it points to somebody greater. There's a respect, there's a fear that comes. And when, when God shows up in power, there's something of like, whoa, this is God. This is beyond us. Therefore, I have a sense of awe and respect and reverence and fear for who God is, so much greater than I am. I'm so grateful that God is greater than I am. Aren't you glad that God's greater than you are? That's why there's reverence and fear and respect for who he is. So you see, we see this, obviously, his power comes, God's power comes from God. It obviously brings a sense of fear. And instead of like dividing over the things we divide over, what if the, the power of God showed up in our city and actually brought us together? And then there's a third a third point of God's miraculous power is that it causes conviction from God. There's something inside of us. It says in verse 18, it says, also many of those who were believers came confessing and divulging their practices. The power of God shows up, and what does it do? It kind of pulls back the curtain on our lives. So they, they hear what happened, they, they're understanding this, and there's this deep conviction that like, wow, if God's that powerful, that means he knows what's up in my life. He knows, what's, he knows what's going on inside of my heart and my mind. He's present, and there's a deep conviction. This isn't a conviction that's based on shame. This is a conviction that is based on trying to bring out what's inside of us so that God can transform the broken parts of our lives. 
And sometimes we need a deep conviction that draws out what we're trying to cover up in our life. And I love this. There's these deep things going on, and now they're going to start to divulge what's going on inside of them. Why? Because there's this fear of God that's brought the conviction of God that brings everything to the surface. And this is important because one of the things that's true in the body of Christ is that I've heard it because I've been around for a little while, and I always hear, hear these cries for revival, revival. And usually what that means is we're praying for the world to get revived. The world's not alive yet. You have to be alive to get revived, right? So where does revival start? It doesn't start out there. It starts right here. It actually says what? It says believers were the ones that felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit and said, okay, I got to deal with what's inside of me. I've got to be honest about what's inside of me. What if we felt that sense of conviction? I'm telling you, what the world is longing for is a church and a group of people that will stand up and say, I'm broken. I'm flawed. I have faults in me. And we'll open up our hearts and show. In fact, one of the, the things this week, one of the number of different messages I heard throughout this week at the conference was that the glory of God comes through the brokenness of humanity. That's a huge part. That's why Paul says what? Where is God's most powerful? In our weakness. And what if the world saw that Christians weren't the ones that were pointing the finger and passing judgment, and Christians are the ones who walked in humility and said, yeah, I'm broken just like you. But I found an answer to my brokenness that's beyond me, and his name is Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen in our city? Can you imagine what would happen in our lives? What, what if we felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Would we be transparent, authentic, and, and realistic about what's going on in our life? Yes. There are moments and seasons where we need profound confession and ownership of our sin and brokenness. Otherwise, we're just playing church. We're just playing games. What would it be like if we experienced the power of God that led to the conviction of God? That we'd have to actually confess things like maybe, maybe, I don't know, I'm not saying I'm, I, don't, I don't have a word from the Lord on this, but maybe someone in this room, you're cheating on your spouse. And you need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, you need to come clean with that. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage and you're, you're afraid to ask for help because you think that everything's supposed to be perfect and it's not, and you won't admit it because you have too much pride. Maybe you're at work and you're, you're doing things that are not altogether honest at work to try to make a profit and nobody knows and you're getting away with it and you think you're okay as long as you get away with it, but right now God's pushing in on you saying it's not okay because it doesn't matter if you make a profit or not because it has to do with what's going on inside of you and you need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's issues of integrity in your life that maybe you don't even realize that you become a pr- prolific liar. You lie about everything. You lie to cover yourself. You lie to cover other people. And it's just become a part of the language of your life. And God's maybe convicting you and saying, it's time to be absolutely brutally honest in your life. Maybe some of you have struggled with gossip. And you're like, I'm not a gossip. And yet you get alone and you're behind people's backs and you talk about them all the time. And God's saying, that's not right. In fact, we've talked about in our church. That's what destroys the body of Christ faster. Maybe some of you thought you've been really keen and wise with the way that you've done your taxes, but if you're honest, you know that you've cheated on your taxes. And nobody's going to know. In fact, you've pulled it over the IRS's you pulled the wool over the IRS's eyes for years. But you haven't pulled the wool over the eyes of God. And the power of God shows up and says it's time to be honest. I can go on. Should we talk about anger? Some of you find a way to cover your anger, but you know that God is trying to get at that. Maybe you have secret addictions in your life and God's saying it's time to bring those to the surface. Not as a point of shame but it's a point of freedom. The power of God shows up and these people start getting free. Why? Because now they have to open up the closet of their life and they no longer have to live in secret. So my prayer is that, yeah, God, bring revival, but bring it right here. 
through our, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that brings us to our knees to confess our sin and to repent of what we've done. Why? Because when the world looks at a church that's repented, the world will want to be in the church because they'll realize that we are for real, that we don't play games. And then the final thing is this in verse 19, is that God's miraculous power inspires commitment to God. There's this incredible thing that happens. So what happens is it says a number, in verse 19, a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it, it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So 50,000 pieces of silver, well, what is that? We don't, we, don't, we don't pay people with silver, but here it is. A piece of silver was worth the average day's work, one piece of silver. 50,000 days of work is the value of what was burnt there. That's commitment. So what's happened is all these people who have been wielding power, wielding magic, and using their own ability for their own glory now are so convicted by what's happened in this, this counter with, with this demon, the result is why they come clean and they burn everything. Why? Because they realize that God's miraculous is better than man's magic. It's this power encounter that happens. And so what happens is the outflow is a commitment to God and to who Jesus is. And I'm pretty convinced that when the demon overtook the seven guys, the demon probably thought, I'm winning this one. These guys, I'm not going anywhere. These guys are going. But didn't realize that God was going to use that to turn the table on that demon. And the result is what? Is that people start to believe. People start to confess. People start to come clean. People start to surrender and commit themselves to God. The exact opposite of what that demon probably thought was going to happen is actually happening in Ephesus. This is incredible. Why? Because God's power shows up. And this is one of the things that my prayer has been for all of us as we walk through this journey of resurgence is that the result of what we look at in the book of Acts from thousands of years ago, and we translate it into what it looks like for today, that it actually influences every single day of our lives. That we start to be people who live with God's power, working through us for people around us. Because the distinguishing factor between you and anybody else is that people have magic and they have things that they can do that are artificial. Read through the ex before the Exodus and read through all the different magic ways that Pharaoh's leaders tried to replicate certain things that God was doing through Moses. But eventually God outdistances their magic and demonstrates the difference between man's magic and God's power. We're supposed to be people of God's power. And that means when you arrive and somebody's sick and somebody's ailing and somebody's struggle, if the question comes into your mind, oh, I wonder if I should pray for them. Yes, you should. Because you may be the one person that God has placed there because beyond what the doctors are going to do for them, the only hope they have is a miracle from God. And you're there to be the vessel and the conduit of God's power. What if, what if you show up in a situation and somebody seems to be struggling with demonic issues in their life? And not always cases, but some cases could be taking on the form of mental illness. Please hear me. Not every person who deals with mental illness has a demon. Please hear me on that then maybe you're there because God is saying, listen, I'm going to use you to bring freedom to this person who's being dominated by a demon in their life. There's a spiritual reality. That means every single day of our lives, because I know what our fear is. Oh, I'm going to look like an idiot. Anybody ever afraid of that? But if I go ask that person if I, if I can pray for them, they're going to think I'm an idiot. Like I'm one of those radical Christians. Why don't we let God worry about reputation and us just do what he wants us to do? I'm convinced we'll see more power and more miracles that God wants to do if we'll just be obedient to say, listen, I know that God works his power through me, and that's why I'm here, so I'm going to pray. And I'm going to believe for God to break through. 
So I want to close with this. I want to play a short video. Um, in fact, Travis is here. So this is Travis's story about God, how God used him to realize that God had something powerful that he wanted to do through him in his life at work. So go ahead and take a look at this. Nichols. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I moved out here to California four years ago. Uh, I was chasing the basketball dream, and I just felt like God just led me to become a basketball coach, start to help pour into the youth. So when I moved out here to California, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and since that whole basketball dream didn't work out, I ran into this guy named Todd Wilson, who runs a company called Core Prep Academy, which is held at Heritage Christian. The program at Heritage Christian is basically a program where you go to school for half a day, you take all the main four core classes that you need for college, and they train for the rest of the day. So we have a bunch of trainers and we just help pour into the kids. We talk about God and then we also push them to that limit to where they can be successful in this game of basketball and just in life period. We teach them the skills that we get from basketball to their everyday life. So it's one day I I was just overwhelmed with all the opportunities that was headed my way, that was coming my way. And I was just trying to figure out, like, God, what you want me to do? Because I know you have a purpose. There's a purpose for all these opportunities coming my way right now. And I decided to fast. And when I fast, one of the staff that worked with, uh, with, uh, with us at Prep Academy wasn't supposed to be there that day. And his knee was like bothering him, I guess. He was like, I thought you was gonna come today. He was like, man, my knee hurt and I just don't wanna stay in the house. So, while we, he's over there sitting down, just watching and we over here waiting for the kids to come in. I could just, God was just telling me to pray for him, but then I could feel the enemies telling me, no, I'm not doing it. And I'm sitting there, this is for a good five, 10 minutes, I'm sitting there and I'm like, gonna pray and the enemy's like no don't do it you're not ready for this you don't know what to say you don't know the right words to say to him before I, I, I was about to pray on his knees I was struggling because I didn't know I didn't know what to say like I almost believed what the enemy was trying to tell me and I just let the Holy Spirit just fill me and just help me choose the right words to say I guess and it was just simple it wasn't nothing special just praying over his knees saying hey father heal my brother Gio and I just want you to show your face to show this is your time to shine. This is your time to show that you can do miracles and you can heal me. And boom. <laughs> the boss, Todd Wilson, was like, okay, Travis, now we got to test it out. I said, what do you mean? I'm just going to let him see how it is uh, later on. He said, no, when you do that, you got to let him test it out right away. He started walking up and down the stairs regular. He wasn't limping, nothing. And this fool just go jump off the stage because we had the stage in the gym. And I was like, are you serious? You really jumped off the stage? Because of the stuff that we've been talking about with our community group and here at Antioch, it's, it's, it's like Antioch, the guys, like you guys, it's like, it's like you guys forced me to tap into something I never tapped into before. It just gave me that faith to, to do stuff that like I did with Gio, just 
let the Holy Spirit fill me up to pray over him, to not be afraid and not to feel like you have to pray. It's the right way to pray when it's not. So you'd be surprised what the Holy Spirit to fill you up with. And I just want you guys to just have that same faith I have in your everyday life. That's normal Christianity. That's what it is. I want to close with this. Let me, let me read to you something that those of you who've taken DE2 will remember this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, as Jesus was sending out his disciples, it says this. It says, and he called to him, him uh, his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. When Jesus calls his disciples, that's what he calls us to do. And I'm convinced this is a missing element of our faith that our world needs desperately. You see it all over the world. You hear testimonies of people who travel to other countries, and it's almost normative in Christianity that power is a part of the package. And then we come back to the United States, and we retreat. But what if we actually took a risk and believed that maybe God has us in places for a purpose, and that's to demonstrate his power that will draw people to him? And through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has granted us authority, his authority, to do that on his behalf. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you demonstrated in the Gospels what it is to live in the power of God and see freedom come to people. And how you pass that on to your disciples and your followers, Lord, for thousands of years. And now today, Lord, we are in a place where that same power that was so important to the growth of the church and the flow of the book of Acts is the same power that you give us today. That Jesus, we want to walk in the full authority that you have granted us on your behalf to bring glory to you. So Lord, I pray right now that you would bring the fullness of your spirit. Just Lord, even as Travis said in the video, that we would be surprised is what, what your spirit would fill us with, the capacity that we would have beyond ourselves. So, Lord, as we live out our lives from here forward this week and into the future, Lord, would you, by your spirit, would you open our eyes to the opportunities that are all around us, the places where people need a touch of your power, Lord. Maybe there's things, Lord, that we're afraid of that you're pushing us into, some darkness that you want us to shine light into. Lord, that you would bring us to a place of having courage to know, Lord, that it is ultimately about your reputation, it's about your power, and it's about people being drawn to you, and that we would be obedient and faithful conduits and vessels of your power in the world. In Jesus' name.